walking to the gym every day with a plan that's going to make, in your opinion, them the best gymnast that they can possibly be. But they have to buy into that plan. And if they don't buy into that plan, you have to figure out a way together that's still going to get them to the end result. And I try and break things down into small bite-sized chunks. It just means that if anything ever goes wrong, I've got a stepping stone backwards as well as a stepping stone forwards. Do what you need to do to find someone that is going to make you a better coach. Welcome to the Gymnastics Growth Show. My name is Nick Ruddock, a performance gymnastics coach providing world-class education, events and consultancy services to the international gymnastics and professional sports community. This podcast is dedicated to optimizing athlete and coach performance from grassroots to gold standard. Stay tuned to discover tactics and strategies designed to transform results for you and your athletes. Welcome to episode 18 of the Gymnastics Growth Show with British men's artistic coach Lee Walls. Lee is the head coach of the highly successful men's artistic programme at the City of Birmingham Gymnastics Club, where he's the personal coach of multiple national team members, including European champion Dominic Cunningham, European medalist Joe Fraser and Hamish Carter. Lee, who is a former elite gymnast, is also a brevet judge and supports British gymnastics as a technical consultant for the men's artistic programme. Coaches of any discipline will be able to take a lot away from this episode, where Lee and I discuss how he's developed a club programme which has produced multiple international medalists and national team members through numerous age groups. We discuss Lee's mindset and strategies for developing his coaching, including his number one piece of advice for coaches, his philosophies of efficient coaching and efficient learning, and how he has adapted his coaching style as his athletes have grown up to be senior athletes, and of course, much more. If you enjoy this episode, please leave us a positive review on iTunes or Anchor and help share the episode with your network so Lee's words can positively impact a wide number of coaches around the world. Let's get started. Okay, so thank you very much, Mr. Lee Walls, for joining me. Um, I know we've had a a few sort of date shuffles around and we've been meaning to get this done for a long time, but I appreciate your time over the sort of Christmas New Year period. Thank you very much. Um, and it's obviously a, a privilege to have you on the, the show. So what I want to dig into, Lee, is your um, your vast experience at you know club level, how club level has led you into national, international representation as a, as a coach, but specifically kind of what you've done with the men's programme at City of Birmingham. So first of all, how long have you been at City of Birmingham? And, you know, did you immediately go into the head coach role? or Was, was that something that kind of happened organically after you arrived at the club? No, I, uh, I actually approached the, the manager of the club back in 2007 uh, whilst on a training camp with a senior men's team uh, out in Hungary. I was told that there was a, a new gym being built in Birmingham and it was something that I was looking to do. I was looking to move into a head coach's role. That was I felt that that was my next aim to run a programme and I started work in January 2008. You vividly remember that date, don't you? <laughs> January 2008. So so we're nearly, what's that, uh, nearly 11 years now? Yeah, yeah, it was. Awesome. So when you first arrived at the club then, just can you just talk to me about what the kind of state the programme was in at that point? Yeah, it's quite funny because um, I had a quick meeting with the, the manager and he said, you know, what can you offer the club? You know, if the, there was no job there. It wasn't a, a programme that required a, a high-level men's coach. And he said, what? If I employ you, what can you bring to the role? And I sort of put my neck out and said, if you employ me, I guarantee you that the city of Birmingham will have three, no, sorry, two national squad gymnasts within three years. Okay. Um, and having not had a national squad gymnast for 
probably 10 years that sort of piqued his interest. And on that basis, he employed me. Luckily, I lived up to my, my promise. Uh, and yeah, basically what I did, I took the boys that were already there, the good, the bad and the ugly. And then alongside those, I had a, a talent ID program, which I think after I selected the guys that I wanted, I had about 15 gymnasts. And then within 12 months, I probably was coaching 25 just organically. People kept coming to me and asking me if they could be coached by me. Yeah, it developed there. There was no expectation on the program for a long time. It was just about creating a program. Um, but it became clear pretty quickly that there were some massively talented gymnasts within the city of Birmingham. Um, yeah, and within 12 months, there were guys on the program, on the GB program. And from that moment, it just developed and, and more and more boys were getting onto the program. And I think within three years, we had perhaps 11 boys in the GB system. Uh, uh, the different, you know, the different stages through development and, and so on. Uh, yeah, they were all in the same squad. So the, the squad at the time was called the Elite Performance Squad. And, and it was from eight to 14 years of age. And within that squad, there was 22 places. And uh, across my squad, um, from 14 down to nine, I think it is. So, yeah, there was 11 of them in that squad, which was pretty cool. Yeah, wow, that's a big chunk. So when you yeah. first made that bold statement about, uh, you know, you'd be able to guarantee, yeah. you know, two or three national squad gymnasts, whatever it was, within three years. I mean, how yeah. confident were you in actually delivering on that? I mean, had you had you produced national squad athletes in the past before this position? or? Yeah, I'd been working with, with the national teams. So I, I probably started coaching in about 97, uh, straight out of a leotard, straight into my coaching kit. And through more luck than judgment, I had a kid selected to the national team within 12 months. So I was this fresh-faced 17-year-old with a national squad gymnast. I mean, he didn't hang around for long, so I can't proclaim to have learned with him. But what that did do was give me access to the greatest minds in Great Britain at that time. You know, the Chinese, the Russians, the, the Romanians and the British coaches. And I saw very early on that every single coach that I came into contact could offer me something. You know, whether it was something that I would use in the long term or short term, it was something that I could use right, right now to, to make me better, to make my gymnast better. And I was never one for shying away from asking questions. You know, it doesn't matter who they were, what they'd produced. If I thought they could offer me something, then I wasn't scared to ask, you know, because every time I asked a question, it was making me better. And every time I came into contact with these guys, then I'd go home and I would, I would introduce it into my program. Yeah, and, and I've been in the national system ever since, and I still, to this day, you know, I still learn. You know, I'm, I'm very much about learning and making me better, because if I'm better, then my kids are better. And as a result, they're, they're still there and they're still doing gymnastics, which is a, a big thing for me. Yeah, and uh, let, let's not put this lightly, they're not just doing gymnastics. I mean, <laughs> so let's let's talk about um, where they are now in terms of the, the club and the programme. So you started off, there, was, there weren't any athletes on the national team. Yeah. Um, you've arrived, you've... You've built uh, or, you know, you started to build what are the foundations of a very good structure for a junior yep. program. Um, you've got your kids on the national team and, and done that. I'm assuming success kind of bred success for the next lot coming through and it yep. snowballed and you gained momentum. So we're still talking sort of seven, eight years ago. So, so where are we now in terms of the structure of the club, the program, number of athletes you've got on the national teams and what kind of level are they, are they training at? As with every club, we are short on coaches. Uh, so there's myself as the head coach and I have a very good assistant. 
so our numbers are we haven't maintained those numbers that I had in the initial stages because I knew that I was going to have a natural drop off and stuff. But if we talk about day to day gymnasts now, I coach uh, six gymnasts. Five of them are now in the senior national team, uh, and one of them is in the junior junior national team, hoping to move into the senior within the next couple of years. So it's pretty cool. I've still got um, quite a high level of gymnasts, although my numbers have, have reduced dramatically through retirement, through going to another sport. Um, the gymnasts that I have managed to keep, if we want to say that, uh, are still at a very high level, and I'm pretty proud of that. Yeah, absolutely, you should be. Congratulations. And I think um, it's only natural that over the course of a few years, you're going to lose athletes for a number of different reasons, whether that's relocating or or basically maybe not even cutting it for the sport, not being suitable, um, yeah. plus a host of other things, like you said, transitioning to other sports and, and so on. So to have six working at that level is uh, is very demanding on, on your time. So it, there aren't many coaches and, and people that I can speak to that can be working with you know, more than six at an international level. Because let's be right, your, your six are working at world European level and certainly pushing for the next Olympic Games. So it's a, no, absolute kudos to you. And I think what I want to get into is, is how have you done what you've done? So you've gone into a, you know, a program, well, basically a club, but there's no program there. You've introduced a program and you've demonstrated the, the competence and the ability and the structure to take them from development through to juniors, through to seniors and winning medals at senior levels. And that's, that's not easy. So I know there's a lot of things that have happened between that sort of last 11 years, but what were some of the pivotal things that you had to do to develop a structure like that? Because there'll be so many coaches listening that will be fascinated by your journey and basically want to emulate your results. They're in a club which currently doesn't produce and they want to over the next 10 years or probably the next 10 months (laughs) produce (laughs) a high level athlete. And they want to, you know, so what, what, what does that step or process look like, Lee? The first thing, and I think the most important thing for me when I started coaching was, um, I didn't want to be just one of the numbers. I didn't want to be in in gymnastics just to make up the numbers and to be another statistic. I wanted to be coaching gymnasts that actually were considered world-class. So I suppose from that point, some call it confidence, some may call it arrogance, but I wanted to be the best. Hence the reason why I was trying to learn as much as I could, you know, from as many people as I could, because my philosophy was that the more information I can process... Uh, good and bad the better I would become I never shied away from any piece of advice let's say I would always listen I was always respectful if someone had the time to tell me how to do something whether I used it or not was then down to me but the more information I could get the more I knew it would help me the longer Um, and I also very much was about keeping the kids in the gym so I knew that from day one, it was going to be a long game. So the kids that I had at five, six and seven years of age were not going to be superstars and world class at 9, 10, 11. So I was never I was never in it to rush. I always had a very much a, a long term plan. So the guys that were coach, uh, I was coaching back in 2008. I was pushing towards the 2020 Olympics and I knew that. So everything I was coaching at the time, all of my physical preparation, all of my flexibility, all of my programming, was based on a program that was way down, you know, down the line. And I think because I was patient, I wasn't prepared to to do things half-heartedly. I was very much about making sure it was done properly, technically, uh, maturation stages. I think all very much played a part in in where the guys are today. 
touch wood, there's not many gymnasts in my group that have long-term injuries. I mean, we all have niggles. But in terms of being coached incorrectly, I'm pretty proud of the fact that my guys are all still in one piece. And I think that, that's probably a big thing as to why they're all now in the senior national team and they haven't faded away. You know, they can walk into the gym every day, like I said, with niggles, but they're not broken. Mm. Um, uh, yeah, that's, that's a big thing for me. So there's, so there's a lot of coaches that have many of the qualities that you've mentioned. They're patient, they, um, they reflect, they listen, yep. they learn, but they still don't get your results. So what's the difference between them and Lee Walls? I believed in my own ability. Yeah. And I didn't do the same things that everybody else did. I very much wanted to coach in a way that would make my guys better. And through that, again, it was very much a learning process for me at the time, but now whenever I'm talking to coaches and gymnasts, I talk about efficient coaching and efficient learning. So it's a big philosophy of mine where I try and make things as easy as I can uh, in coaching and in learning. And when I say I make it as easy, I don't mean that I cut corners, but I try and break things down into small bite-sized chunks. So I I dissect everything that I teach and I coach it and the, the gymnasts learn it in sections. And then when I know that they're confident and competent in everything that I've taught, then I just put it back together. So it's like almost like a building Lego. You know, we've got the end product, but I, I dissect it into easy parts for them to learn. And then I put it back together and then we've got the final, final skill, hopefully. Two things that I've learned with that is one, they learn the, the skill in um, bite-sized pieces. So they're always achieving. So there's hopefully there's never any doubt that they're not going to learn the skill so that you know the guy i'm not trying to teach a skill as a whole so it's not doing the same things over and over again they're always success after success stepping stones and also it just means that if anything ever goes wrong i've got a stepping stone backwards as well as a stepping stone forwards to go back and relearn and then move forwards again so there's some really good points in here so the first one i want to just pick up on was um your self-belief and self-confidence yeah. So um, I talk about the conviction that high-level coaches have. They have absolute yeah. conviction in their approach and their methods, but they're flexible enough to move away from them if they yeah. want to as well. And I think that's what you're saying is that you've got absolute confidence in your processes and systems, but you are open-minded yeah. enough to learn from another uh, gymnast or coach to go, actually, I'm going to try that now. And, and then you'll adopt that technique or adjustment, but with the same level of conviction as you had before because... Yeah you probably it's probably well considered you understand it biomechanically and technically etc do, do i sound like i'm on the right lines there it, it's exactly right i've gymnastics is evolving you've only got to watch the gymnastics on the telly and in the major championships to see how things change let's talk about the japanese very quickly about their twisting on, on the men's side and how they've developed a twisting technique it's not something that i teach but i've certainly listened to coaches talk about it and I think if I started again, which is something that I'm, I'm considering, I think I would definitely adopt a form of that technique. So I would use my technique as I always have done, but I would certainly take snippets of the, of the way that the Japanese think about twisting because I think you can't argue that it's efficient in the way that they twist and how fast they twist. I'm not sold on the whole the technique as a whole in terms of the arms down and stuff, but there's certainly ways that I think I could... I could adapt it and adopt to help my gymnasts. So yeah, taking things is, is something that I'm definitely willing to do. Yeah, so it sounds like essentially you're, you're curious, aren't you? You've seen another technique, you're curious about how that can fit into your system. But this is another interesting point, you're, you're full of them, which is great. 
a lot of coaches will copy what they see. So the Japanese, yeah. for example, it clearly works for the Japanese, yeah. but it works for them based on the rest of their system. Yeah. And I find that this is this is really critical, and you've you've kind of um, you've demonstrated it really is that what you're essentially saying is you like it, it works, but it might not fit into the rest of Lee Walls' system. Yeah, Whereas what exactly a lot of coaches will do is they won't think like that. They'll just see the technique and they'll chuck it in their program, but they <laughs> might not have all the other aspects which need to complement that technique in order for it yeah. to work properly. Yeah. So that's a, a really nice thing. Just coming back again to your stepping stones analogy, that to me is referring to the regressions and progressions of skills. And you've yeah. seen my pyramid model, which I talk about the five layer structure, which is yeah. built in exactly the same way which basically says that, you know, to build a solid foundation, you know, the pyramid structure, the base is physical prep. You've then got technical preparation, which are your drills, uh, the practice stage, the um, consolidation stage, and then finally adaptation. So through times of growth or adversity, injury, or perhaps just a, a difficult time in the skill journey, you can just drop down to the the layer before, find a regression of the skill and then reprogress. So it, it sounds like it's exactly the same concept there, but you've talked about it in a stepping stones um analogy if you like as opposed to the pyramid so no yeah. no really really cool um you've obviously for a long time the club was i want to say the club city of birmingham Jurassic club had a reputation for being the, the top junior program i believe in the country within the uk yeah. but now obviously you're you're you've got seniors you've got a whole group you said five seniors and one junior how has your coaching had to change from working with these men Okay, and I remember, I mean, I remember myself just being with Joe Fraser when he was uh, coming in the gym and seeing him train and he didn't have much muscle on him and he was, you know, <laughs> always been a lovely lad. But and, and then now you walk in the gym and his triceps are as big as my thighs and it's like, whoa. Um, yeah. What's that transition been like for you really is seeing these guys develop as, as people as well as athletes and how have you had to change your coaching style accordingly? It's been, if I'm being completely honest, a massive learning curve for me because you go from coaching these little robots who walk in the gym and they're in the gym because they love it and they do it they do 10 15 20 of everything that you want you know and they come back like a little puppy and they're smiling you know now what next lee what next and then they go through this let's not say lazy stage but very slow stage as they're growing and becoming teenagers and they develop a personality and so at that point it was it was about okay and i said to myself you either continue doing what you're doing and, and give them a program by which you're expecting the world and you lose the kids or you start to develop the program with them. So I became very much a, a team player with them, which is, is very difficult to, to grasp the concept with at first because sometimes they say, I'm not sure that's right for me or this or that. And you have to listen to them. It's not, it's not overly easy because you walk into the gym every day with a plan that's going to make, in your opinion, them the best gymnast that they can possibly be. But they have to buy into that plan. And if they don't buy into that plan, you have to figure out a way together that's still going to get them to the end result. You know, they may not want to do a certain amount of things one day or they don't want to do that. Or I don't think that skill's right for me. So you have to work with them. And we use the word negotiate a lot at home in the gym. You know, if I want them to do this on one day and they say... Don't think I can do that. They don't tell me they can't do it. They always say, Lee, can we negotiate today? Right. So they know they still need to do the workload. So, for example, if I want two floor routines and they don't feel like their legs are, are up to doing two floor routines, they might say, Lee, can we negotiate? And I'll say, yeah, okay, what, what do you want to do? And I'll say, well, can I go and do four routines on the track? Can I do two of each half on the floor? You know. So they're still doing the same amount of work, but they make it a little bit easier for them 
because I don't know how their body feels. So I do a generic plan for them. And, and we've got this understanding by which the workload has to be done. But how we get there can be negotiated if needs be. And you don't see that negotiation as a compromise? Is it the same or different as a compromise, do you think? I think a compromise would be the wrong word because I'm still getting everything that I want from them. So it's just about negotiating on the amount of work that they do at that specific moment. It's mainly about volume, isn't it? Yeah, How you can cool. disguise the volume in different ways. So you said doing, do two, two floor routines. Okay, yeah. I'm not going to do two floor routines, but I'll go on the track because it's more elastic. I'll yeah. use the elasticity from the track. I can do four of those. So actually you're, yeah. you're kind of getting more volume, but in a different environment. So You've got it. And what, what I've found over the years is that by allowing them to take a little bit of control of their own program and their own destiny, it gives them that belief that you believe in them. And they're not shy in coming forward and saying, Lee, you know, my body's really not great today. Can I do this? They feel like they've got that connection with you. So they don't walk in the gym. They're not scared of me. They don't feel like they, they can't talk to me. And it all goes back to the, the original point about being a team together. You know, I think as a team, we're all moving forwards. Tickets for Europe's leading gymnastics conference, GymCon, go on sale later this month. But there's still time to get on the priority list before they do. Priority List members get the earliest buying window at the cheapest possible prices to what will be another outstanding event packed with inspiration and transformational learning opportunities. To sign up for the free Priority List, visit gymcon.co.uk before January the 18th. Now, back to the podcast. So it's very much an athlete-centred programme where you're empowering the athlete to be able to think for themselves, make sort of decisions and and work with you as very much a team. Um, yeah. Is there a, like a threshold in terms of the age? You know, can you put an age onto this or is it a stage of maturation where you accept the fact that you need to evolve your coaching style with them? I mean, how do you determine when the time is right for this? Uh, it's pretty organic. If I'm honest, I don't, I don't quote figures in terms of maturation and um, age just because everybody's different. You know, like I've got, like I said, the five members of my senior team and I've got one junior, but he's 17 so I'm giving him a little bit of leeway in that I still want him to be part of the team as, as a whole. So I'm perhaps giving him a little bit more control than I would have done somebody else at that age, just so that he can fit in with the seniors. So I've got a six, a six man team rather than a, a five man team and one extra. Yeah. Five plus one. Yeah. So again, it's all about me analyzing the situation and doing what's right for the team as a whole and each individual within that team. That makes absolute sense. Okay, um, let's go back to the right at the beginning of this journey. Yep. Um, you had these six athletes, or maybe some of them have come later on in the process, and they might not. Yep. Have, and that might be the case for some of them. I'm not sure. Were there any that you you just saw straight away when they first came in? You said that's the one. Have you been right in those cases, or have there been many cases where you've been wrong? Because I just want to get your your idea of talent ID here. You know what you look for, how predictable it is when you've got a potential champion in front of you or maybe how unpredictable it is? What, what are your kind of thoughts on this? I think it's very unpredictable to choose uh, uh, an Olympic champion, let's say, at the age of four and five. They might have many of the right attributes, but I think until they grow into being an adult, it's very difficult to see how they're going to progress within the sport. I mean, they might be able to jump, bounce, run, everything that you want, and it might be a dream child. But then for them for them to develop into a dream adult gymnast, it's very cloudy for me. We, all we can do is 
give them the opportunity to develop. You know, it has to come at the the second half of their journey has to be very much about them. It has to come from them. And we, we all know that external influences in their life could potentially change the way that they see gymnastics. So Talent ID for me is, is about creating a group of the best juniors, best children, and hopefully guide them into being good adults, not necessarily good gymnasts because they're not all going to make senior gymnasts. So uh, along their journey of being children, I try to create nice, respectful adults. And then if they choose to then continue on gymnastics, I'm hoping that 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 groundwork gives them an opportunity to be the best gymnast they possibly can. So coming, I mean, you said juniors there. I mean, what age does a junior start in your mind or you talk about FIG juniors? (laughs) Yeah, anybody under the age of 18 for me is a junior. Okay, so so from a talent, let's go right back to the very first time that you're doing your specific talent pool. Is that one of Luke's roles at the club? Is it Luke? Yeah, my assistant, Luke Falwell, he was a very good gymnast, uh, Commonwealth champion in Delhi 2010, I think. So he's, he's been around the block. He's done world championships, European championships. So in terms of gymnastics, he knows it very well. But if we were talent ID in gymnasts, we would both do it together. Because again one pair of eyes is not necessarily as good as two. And there are always things within the the gym that, that I see, Luke doesn't see or Luke sees and I don't see. So I think together we can sort of come to some sort of arrangement. And it's always about trialling, you know, there's no harm in taking them because then you can always say that, you know, we don't think gymnastics is for you. But when I'm looking at kids, believe it or not, it's not, I don't worry about gymnastics because the, the best sort of, Gymnasts for me are the ones that haven't done gymnastics before. So as four-year-olds, five-year-olds, six-year-olds, I would look for something like, have they got coordination? Can they throw a ball? Can they catch a ball? Because they might be able to run, they might be able to jump, they might be able to round off backflip. But then when you get them closer to the, uh, the real core of gymnastics, their coordination might let them down. So they might not be able to do anything with their hands. So... Yeah, coordination is a big thing for me. And, and shoulder flexibility is the only two true things that I look for when I'm, I'm talent ID in children because it's my job to make them a gymnast. It's my job to make them flexible. But I think in my experience of the last 20 years, shoulder flexibility is something that's very difficult to develop to the point where you would class them as flexible. Right. You know, and, and in men's gymnastics with rings and with uh, parallel bars and pommel horse and, and high bar. Shoulder flexibility could be a real limiting factor for them to be a world-class gymnast. So if I've got a, a gymnast or a child, let's say I wouldn't even call them a gymnast at that point, if I've got a child that's flexible and can catch and throw a ball, maybe hit it with a tennis racket or something something out of the ordinary, thinking outside the box, then it's my job to develop those skills, those core skills and those natural skills into gymnastic skills. And, but is there, a, again, a threshold? I mean, if they could if they could hit that tennis ball, or sorry, yeah. with a tennis racket, they could hit the ball. They've got amazing shoulder uh, range of motion. Yeah. But, but they're not doing a forward and backward roll when they're seven years old. Are you, are yeah. you, am I right in saying you're still going to question that and think, okay, right. Or are you literally well, taking anything else? I would only take gymnasts, let's say, between the ages of four, five, six. So when I'm talking about they don't need any gymnastic skills, those are the, the, the ages over those two years, really. And I would make it very much about learning over, let's say, I'd give them a two-year span. If at that point, gymnastics isn't coming easier to them, 
then I would speak to the parents and say, look, guys, you know, we've given it two years. I'm not entirely sure it's, it's happening. It's not a two years that's wasted. They've learned these core skills. They're stronger. They're more flexible. You know, that can be adapted into any other sport. But within those two years, I would expect them to be developing the skills that I've seen in them into gymnastics. Gymnastics is a massively long-term sport, and I think it would only be fair on the parents and the child that if I don't see them developing at that point, then I have to tell them because it's a lot of time, it's a lot of money, it's a lot of effort to stay in sport, not to achieve anything. And I know that we're not all going to be Olympic champions or world champions, but if I think that a child is in my gym that's not going to to get any sort of level, whether that be club, county, regional, national, then I think it's my duty to tell the parents to give them an opportunity whilst they're still so young to develop the skills that they've got into another sport. So by the time they're probably seven or eight, if they're not doing the core forward rolls, handstands, swings, et cetera, et cetera. I would question whether there would be a gymnast at all. Okay, so let's go on to um, some of your philosophies again. You talked about the efficient learning and efficient coaching. Yep. Um, I think part of that you were referring to um, what I call a drip-fed model of teaching, okay. which is something that I've learned on my travels as well, which is you take a, a big skill and you chop it up into lots of tiny pieces yep. and you drip-feed that process over an extended period of time. So if you were to yep. take, for example, a, a catch-f, there are many, many, like dozens of drills that you can do for a catch-f, and there's dozens that you can actually do with a 10-year-old, an 11-year-old, a 12-year-old, which don't involve them actually holding onto a bar and throwing the bar. But, but you can drip-feed that process over a course of a few years so that when you do actually need them to perform it, they learn it very, very quickly. Am I, am I right in saying that that's similar to what you were referring to? Yeah, feel free to tell me if it's different because that's the whole purpose of the podcast. <laughs> no, 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 that's exactly right. And also, not just that, I gymnastics has trends. We all know that as high level coaches, and it's it's generally dictated to by the the FIG code of points. But at that time, there's always a core set of elements that gymnasts will always need, and I will look at the code, I'll look at the trends, I'll watch gymnastics on the telly, and I'll take that. And I will say, okay, so in 12 years' time, 8 years' time, 10 years' time, this gymnast is going to need to be able to do this skill. Is there anything that I can be doing now with them? So is there any physical prep stuff? Is there any core stuff? Is there body, you know, anything that I can be doing with their body now that's going to help them in the future? So it's not just about skill learning. It's about body preparation, which is going to help them jump a few stages when I actually start teaching the skill. So what you were saying is exactly how I, I look at gymnastics. Yeah. And those basic skills that you said, I mean, are- for me, they're the skills that have been around for 20 years and, and will be around in another 20, 30, 40 years. And they'll, they'll always remain the root skills that coaches yep. should be very, very good at teaching. So whether that's, yep. a, I mean, I talk about the six acrobatic kind of fundamentals and floor um, being, you know, a round off, a flick, a whip, straight back, straight front and uh, a handspring, fly spring. So, you know, your gymnastics will always need those elements at a junior and a foundational level. Yep. And for me, coaches should spend most of their time understanding how to teach those skills. And only when they've got those skills, you know, really at a high performance level, should they then worry about some of the other bits above it? Because you're right. Yeah, the code's going to change, but the basics of gymnastics probably won't. Maybe the style in the way they're performed might do as a result of, I don't know, the equipment changing slightly. But a round off flip, you know, a back flick or a backhand spring to the listeners in in America. Um, These are skills that we're always going to teach, aren't they? Exactly that. I mean... You're right, the the fundamentals and the basics of gymnastics will never change. You know, we can adapt them and we can 
we can move on you know with the times and with the code of points but a gymnast will always need to long swing a gymnast will always need to handstand like you said round off back handsprings back flips uh, handsprings uh, double leg circles for men long swings for me get those right everything else slot into place you can step in stone with extra skills but you've always got your basics to fall back on and you can create routines with basic elements i mean my gymnast at a young age all had success at under 12s under 14s being all around british champions on routines created purely from basics there was no massive level skills they were all a and b elements but they were done really well so their execution was was massive um and yeah they've had some of their most successful times on those basic routines and then at that point, that's when you start building on those basics to create the routines that you see, you know, today. Yeah. And I guess this is where your patience that you mentioned earlier has to come in, because if you haven't got the patience of teaching those basics correctly, then I believe that coaches have to be patient. At then, you know, basically not going crazy while their athlete can't do what they want them to do for months and months and months and months because they haven't yeah. been built you know, in your stepping stone concept or your pyramid. Um, so it's like, you've got to either be patient through the basics period, and then you're going to get high level gymnastics after, or you're going to rush the skill development process and then have to be really patient at dealing with the fact that those kids are never going to progress. Yeah. You know, yeah. so it's like, you, everyone's got to be patient in some ways, but that's, that's often when the, the coaches, I believe that, you know, they, they're going a bit crazy. They're pulling the hair out there. Um, you know, they're getting frustrated with their athletes through to a lack of progress. And it's like, well, yeah. okay, but you've you've kind I mean, of created that scenario yourself so you know yeah it's it's easy for the what, what i found when i talk to coaches coaches that i mentor and peers it's easy for the successful coaches to tell everybody else to be patient because they're the ones that have done it done it been there and their gymnasts are potentially doing it you know now but to get a coach to understand the process and, and trust the process without looking over their shoulder and thinking oh my you know, that gymnast doing that, they're the same age as mine. My gymnast has to be doing that. Um, it's easier said than done. You know, and I, I suppose it goes back to me believing in my ability to coach high-level gymnastics. You know, even, even when I'd never done it, I knew that that was where I wanted to be, knew where I wanted to go. But what I did believe was that my gymnasts were going to have to stay in the sport for 15 and 20 years. And that's what I trusted more than anything at that time. So, yeah, if anything else, or if nothing else, I would say trust the process and just be patient, just wait, you know, teach the basics. And if you don't, if you don't see it at that time, I promise you, you will see it in five years time and you'll see the, the benefits of it in five years time and 10 years time. Yeah. So again, you've talked, you're talking there about your conviction again and your approach. Um, yeah. That for me is because you've got clarity on what that is. So you you, yeah. you do know the journey. You were, were a high level athlete yourself. So for coaches that can't trust the process because they don't know the process, what's your advice yeah. to them? And we've all been there. Um, yeah. I mean, you had a, obviously a, a high performance sort of background as an athlete. Um, I came from a recreational background. So I, you know, it was the whole world of gymnastics was new to me in terms of pretty much anything above a cartwheel or a backward yeah. roll. Um, but so what would your advice be to coaches that don't know what the process is and therefore they can't trust it? My number one piece of advice to any coach is to find a mentor. When I first started gymnastics, I had to go out and speak to people. You know, I, I put in the, the miles and people have to do that. You know, people have to go out and find someone that's been there, done it and find someone that they can stand next to and they can, 
they can ask questions and they need to be a sponge. If somebody is willing to give them an opportunity to stand next to them and to learn in that competitive environment, go and do it. Don't stand in your own club and say that, oh, there's nobody around or I can't do this. I've never done it. There's no one in my gym that is a high level. Don't, there's no excuses. You know, don't look at the world and say, oh, I haven't got access to that. The smalls of, uh, sorry, the world's a very small place now with the internet, with telephones, you know. There are, I have coaches every day, I'm sure, as you do, email me and, and social media DM me. You know, Lee, can I ask you a question? Lee, can I do this? Lee, can you mentor me? Lee, can I come and spend a week in your gym? And 95% of the time, it's it's a yes. You know, if I've, if I've got time in the gym that I can give to somebody else, then I'm, I'm more than happy to do that. I'm more than happy to to make gymnastics better through coach education. You know, so my... In answer to that question, it would be go and find somebody, go and find a, a mentor, email, visit, telephone, do what you need to do, what you need to do to find someone that is going to make you a better coach. Yeah, no, that's great advice. Absolutely fantastic. And uh, where do you find your inspiration for uh, mentorship I, now? I find my inspiration from um, anywhere, if I'm honest, anywhere. So if I see my younger guys doing well in the gym and they've just managed to get into the national squad. If they've just won their first gold medal, it, it, I remember what that feeling feels like and it gives me motivation to do exactly the same, but on a different level. I have many coaches say to me, oh, you know, I'm preparing for a regional competition. I know it's not a world championships and you're preparing for that. And I'll stop them and I'll say, look, every competition that your gymnast enters is a world championships for them. Every competition is their Olympic Games. Until they reach a higher level, the level that they're at is as important as an Olympic Games for them. And that's my inspiration. You know, every time there's a kid uh, winning a medal or smiling or doing something well and, and I see them achieve something, it just makes me happy and makes me want it more for my kids. Nice. Very yeah. cool. Awesome. Um, so just finally, what do you struggle with, I mean, in gymnastics? Or if you could change one thing about the sport... What would that be? Oh, you've got me there, kiddo. He could have uh, he could have warned me about that question. <laughs> well, you know, is there anything that you you get home after a long day at the gym and you're and you're like, okay, right, that that ticked me off today, or or you sh you know, we all have our areas that we struggle with. I mean, we're committed to the sport, we're devoted to yeah, it, we course. love it, but look, it's not easy. Yeah, the, the the biggest frustration for me is that I walk into my gym every day. Uh, wanting to be the best I can be for my kids and if they don't make good of the session it frustrates me because when I walk when I come home my salary will still remain the same my job will still remain the same in 10 years time I can continue that process and nothing will change if they continue to, to walk into a session and not make the most of every minute they may not get to the world championships they may not get to the Olympic Games and my frustration is that sometimes they don't see it mm. You know, and I, I wish and I and I have conversations daily with my gymnast about using every minute, you know, make every second count and work to the, the highest level and don't just walk into the gym. Good days, bad days, even if it's a bad day, make the most of that bad day. Let's do something else. You know, let let's let's not focus on the bit that's making it a bad day. Let's let's find something that's gonna make it a successful day. And yeah, that's probably my biggest frustration that there are minutes that are in the gym that are wasted. Awesome. Lee, where can more people find or where can people find out more information about you? I know you've got a, a YouTube channel which has done really well, some serious hits on your on your sort of my way yeah. videos. So 
any sort of social channels that you can push people to, including your YouTube stuff? Uh, yeah, my YouTube, I've got a few videos. Um, I'm very busy at the minute. Um, it's something that I do want to push, but it's uh, Wolves. It's W O L five i think is the w double zero double l five that's my channel and if they just youtube legals it'll all pop up there's some pretty good from what i've been told um, educational videos on there fantastic yeah um yeah my social media is pretty personal it's there's no gymnastics on there but yeah youtube's the the go-to youtube's the one awesome well i want to thank you for your time um i want to congratulate you for your success so far to date um it's inspiring it's very inspiring for for a lot of coaches and i'm sure a lot of people listening um but also want to wish you the very best of luck as we head into the new year which is an important year of course with uh you know olympic qualification for the gb team and uh and onwards to tokyo and and further forward so uh congratulations mate and wishing you the best of luck thanks thank you thank you very much thanks for listening to the gymnastics growth show if you've enjoyed this episode please head on over to itunes or your chosen podcast player Subscribe, leave a review and share the show with your network. See you next time.